eating and our kids are running through the restaurant, like, they're like, so tell us again about this new church. And they have no church background. And it was just awesome. We got to share more than I've ever gotten to share with them before. And it's still clicking for them. And so it was just neat. Like, sometimes when we open up and have that opportunity, what God does with that. Um, so they, one of the questions they asked and why I brought it up is they're like, so you're, like, you're going weekly now. How is that? And I'm like, mostly good. It's like super fun, but it's crazy because I'm going, okay, it's 8 o'clock now. I have to go home. I have to make sure I know what I'm going to say. Um, I, but anyway, sorry. Sometimes I just get so excited. Um, and, and I just got to sit and enjoy this time with them. And it just made me, and I've had a few things this week that have caused me to reflect and on where we've been and what God's been doing. And uh, we started a couple weeks ago with this new series called Created, Discovering What We're Made For. We talked about being made for a purpose. Um, we talked last week about made to reflect God's image, but oftentimes when we come and we try to reflect God's image, we find that the mirror's cracked, um, that there's something wrong with us. And so we have these pieces um, that are shattered in us because we choose to follow things that aren't in God's plan and are in God's best interest for us. And so we're left broken, and yet God doesn't leave us broken. He has this plan to restore us for good. And so today, I'm really excited because um, rather than just give you kind of a theological understanding of why that is, um, we're going to also have the practical how that happens. And so Pam is going to come up and share part of her story. So Pam, could you come up? Um, I'm a big planner, and I like to know what the plan is all the time and who's going to be involved in the plan and what my role is going to be in it. My husband Bill and I were married right out of high school. We started our family, and for the most part, you could say we grew up together. We were a team. We had two daughters. We worked a business together that was very much a family business. God was a big part of our lives. We were very active and involved in our church. I knew that God was in control of my life, but I always had a feeling that I maybe needed to help him out a little bit with my input on what I thought would be best for me. After our girls were both grown and on their own, Bill and I decided it was time for us to have our own adventure. This adventure started when we bought a piece of land in Wisconsin that we would clear and do much of the work on ourselves until we would eventually build our dream of a peaceful little getaway that would be eventually our retirement home. This plan, I thought, was going to be long-term over the course of the next several years. It sounded good to me, and I liked the plan. I liked to plan, and Bill was far more adventurous than me. The very next weekend on this long-range plan, we were in Wisconsin with chainsaws blazing, clearing the land, working towards this long-term goal much faster than I had in my mind. This was truly an adventure, and we had a lot of fun working on this project together. The following year, we had a home on the land, and we spent the next couple of years living our uh, dream. We lived at home in our home in Shakopee during the week, and during the weekends, we spent living our dream on our peaceful retreat in the woods. All during this time, I must admit, admit that our life was good and God was much in control. On May 1st of 2006, Bill and I were working together at our tanning salon business, and it was slow, so Bill was going to close up and stop at the health club on his way home, and I went straight home. Later beca became much later, and Bill had not come home. I got a little worried as he was very predictable with his schedule. 
After not being able to reach him, I decided that I would drive over to the club and make sure he was okay. On the way, I guess I was expecting the worst. I didn't know how bad, but um, I was expecting to see an accident on the road. Um, our youngest daughter had the same idea, and she arrived at the club a few minutes before I did to see her dad's car there, but not her dad. One of the men at a neighboring business said that her dad had been taken by ambulance to the hospital. Bill had died in the parking lot of the health club. Suddenly, I was a 47-year-old widow. I had two grown children, two homes, and no plan. Although I still knew God was in control and he had a plan in place, I had no idea what that plan was. Pam's words, this was not my plan. Maybe you found yourself saying that before. This was not my plan. Uh, maybe it was because uh, there was a broken relationship for you. Maybe it was because there was a change of schools or a change of jobs or a change of locations and all of a sudden you find yourself in literally or figuratively a new place saying, whoa, this was not what I planned. And when you say that, where does your mind go? Like, does it go to anxiety? Or does it go to prayer? Or does it go to sadness? Or bitterness? Or depression? Um, do you ever say, like, okay, God, maybe you have a better plan? And I, I don't mean to say that tritely, because I think that very few people, when tragedy strikes, say, okay, God, you have a better plan. I don't think they say it. I don't think they think it, and I don't think they pray it. And so I don't want you to fake it. I don't want to fake it. If you're saying, how are you? And I'm not well, I'm going to try not to go, oh, I'm fine. And go, well, it was a hard week. And I hope that this place is a place where we can say that too, where we can be authentic and be honest about when life is hard and when it's not. But I don't want us to just think that that equates to I'm okay, you're okay, we're all okay. Because in the midst of that brokenness or in the midst of a plan like exploding, we want to be able to say, you know what, there's hope. We have to grow towards something more. We have to grow towards Jesus. And so let's figure out how to get there together. See, God created us for this purpose and God restores us into this relationship with him. And so a couple weeks ago, we like did this thing called the spiritual audit. It was a series of questions to just kind of say, where are you at? Uh, you know, are, do you feel like you have a quiet center in your life? When anxiety comes, do you, do you just know, like, it might not be perfect, but everything is probably going to work out? Do you have this sense of joy? And so we went through some of those questions. And if you didn't get a chance to do that and you want to, that's great. But why? Why do we go through stuff like that? We do to let us know like when tragedy comes in or when something blows up, we're, we're, what is our response? Is it towards Christ? So last week, we, we looked in this mirror and we had these shattered mirrors. And, you know, a few of you said, that was a great idea. Don't have shattered pieces of glass around again, uh, especially with little kids. Uh, but we put those up to show this idea that even though we're made to reflect God's image, that we often get shattered. And in the midst of those pieces... Um, laying there on the ground. We have to figure out what we're going to do with that. Are we going to try and figure it out on our own? 
Are we going to bring those to the cross and have God put those back together? I mean, Pam so clearly said, you know, I'm, suddenly I'm a 47-year-old widow with two, two houses and a job, and i got to figure out my life again. I mean, Pam needed those pieces to come back together. There's a woman in Scripture who needed those pieces to come back together, and her name was Hadessa. So if you have your Bibles, you might want to turn to Esther, and you're like, wait, Esther? Hadessa. Hadassah, Hadassah, um, that was her Hebrew name, Hadassah, very Hebrew. She, um, she, her plan was destroyed. Uh, Esther was her Persian name, and so she went by that more or less, and we'll talk about why in a few minutes. Um, she was a Jewish girl that was pretty, but she didn't have a plan. She was from the family line of Benjamin, if you follow the Israelite path of sons, um, which wasn't the worst family to be a part of, but it wasn't the best family to be a part of. So she was, she was doing okay there, but, but her family had been exiled from the land of Judah when this king named Nebuchadnezzar came in with the Babylonian Empire. So brief history lesson, so these, these empires came and took control. We've, we've heard of the Roman Catholic Church, which came out of the Roman Empire, but before that, there was other empires that came in and kind of were like big bad bullies. And so the the Babylonians came in, and when they did that, they just scattered everybody that was a Jew, threw them all over the place in all the other territories, and tried to remove any piece of religion and heritage from them. Then the Persians came in and took over the Babylon, so the Babylonian Empire, and then they were a little bit nicer. They even had some people, they said, you know what, you can go back to your land, and you can rebuild. Even though there's nothing there, you can rebuild it. Some chose to try that and do that, and others said, you know what, I'm just going to stay where I'm at. And so Esther, or Hadessa, she stayed where she was at. The other problem was, in the midst of the, Babylons coming in, the Babylonians coming in and the Persians coming in, her parents had died. So not only did she not have a home, i.e. she's homeless, she's also an orphan. She is by herself. She has, well, she has a little bit of hope. Um, she has an uncle in Esther 2, 5 through 7. It says, At the time there was a Jewish man in the fortress of Susa whose name was Mordecai. He was from the time of Benjamin. He was a descendant of Kish and Shimei. His family had been among those who had been exiled. This man had a very beautiful and lovely young cousin, Hadassah, who was also called Esther. When her father and mother died, Mordecai adopted her into his family and raised her as his own daughter. So she's not completely abandoned. She's not completely without hope. She has this advocate in Mordecai. But, but she has to be thinking, we don't know, but she has to be thinking like, seriously, this is my life? I'm supposed to be from this chosen nation that's supposed to be cared for. We're in exile. I have no parents, and I have this cousin who cares for me. Like, God, there has to be another plan. There has to be a better plan. There has to be a substitute plan here. And that's going through her mind. When, she's, when her plan is shattered, she, she has to start thinking about what is next. And Pam was doing the same thing. She was wondering, is this God's plan? Is this my plan? Or is this some substitute plan? So she's going to tell you more of her story now. I wasn't really wondering about a substitute plan or really any plan. Like I said, there was no plan. I was just trying to put life back together again as a single woman, which was a big adjustment. 
I felt as though the other half of me was missing, because he was. I held fast to the idea that God did have a plan in store for me. I was very fortunate in regard that I had wonderful friends, and Bill and I had been a small, at a small group at the time, and those people were very dear and supportive to me during this entire process. I truly would have had a harder time getting through the first months without their love and support. I attended several different support groups in the beginning, but it was very hard for me to fit in or connect. Though there were many dear women in these groups, frankly, they were much older than I, and in most cases had lost their husbands to long illnesses or old age. And I, again, being 47, working a full-time job, was on a much different journey than they were, or at least I perceived it that way. I remember meeting Rob at one point and saying, I wish there was a grief group that I fit in with more. And due to my age, it was just not something that was common. After several months passed by, I read an article in the paper that Steve, his wife, had also passed away. I knew Steve and his late wife through our tanning business. They were frequent customers of ours because they would travel to Mexico each winter. My heart truly went out for Steve as I knew much of how he was feeling at that time. I sent him a sympathy card and a few months later he stopped by my salon to express his sympathy for my loss also. We had coffee and we shared our stories and became friends. We kind of became our own little grief group. And after some time, and I'm not sure when, you could actually be say we began to date. And it was strange, as neither of us had dated for many, many years. It, um, it, the transition was easy, though, because we were just friends, and um, I'm not really sure where it happened that we became dating friends. Um, but we came from being friends and helping each other out to small projects, and then we were actually dating. Most people that we knew were happy for us, and we had a lot of people when they heard our story saying, oh, it was just meant to be, because you are so good for each other. We began to think ourselves that this was God's plan. A year and a half later, Steve and I married, but times became tough. We had no idea how hard it was going to be to blend so much of our lives together. We had many more things to deal with than most newlyweds, plus we were not really as young as we used to be, and I guess we were both a little set in our ways. <laughs> our adult children, five of them together, took this relationship extremely hard. They were still dealing with their own losses, and to this point, have not really accepted Steve's and my relationship. These factors became hard. We began to wonder if our marriage was right, the right thing to do. This is when the substitute or replacement idea crept in. Maybe this marriage is just a distraction or a substitute from what God's plan really was. What if both of us had missed God's plan? Hadassah, or Esther, as you'd call her, um, was, had a pretty comfortable substitute plan in mind, too. We pick up the story in chapter 2. See, Esther um, was in Persia, and, and the king didn't like his wife, and he had asked her to do something, and she basically said no, so he's like, away with you. And so he got rid of her, and then he needed to find a new wife. Even though he had a lot of other women in his life, which we'll get to in a second. So if we pick it up back in Esther 2, verse 8, here it says, So the king made a decree 
because he had gotten rid of his wife. So the king made a new decree. Uh, I need to find a new wife. And so he had sent out these messengers. And basically, a bunch of young women came in to uh, this place, this fortress in Susa, under one of his, su- his servants' cares named Haggai. Now, Haggai was impressed with Esther and treated her kindly. He quickly ordered a special menu for her and provided her with beauty treatments. He also assigned seven maids specially chosen from the king's palace, and he moved her and her maids into the best place in the house, or the harem, it says. We'll talk about that in a second. Um, Pick it back up in verse 12. Before each young woman was taken to the king's bed, she was given the prescribed 12 months of beauty treatments. Six months of oil mixed with myrrh, six months of special perfumes and ointments, and then finally, when it was time to go to the king's palace, i.e. the king's bed, he was given then, she was given a choice of whatever clothing and jewelry she wanted to wear, and that evening she was taken into the king's private rooms, and they're leaving something out there, and the next morning she was brought into the second harem where the king's wives lived. There she would be under the care of another servant named uh, Sheazzi, Sheazgaz, actually. I know, it's a little bit hard to say. And the king's, the king's eunuch in charge of these women. And then she would never go to the king again unless he had especially enjoyed her and requested her by name. So these women come into this one group, and it's kind of like a Miss America pageant, or, a, or literally like a Miss Persia pageant. They come in, they get beauty treatments, they kind of are eliminated one by one maybe, and at some point then they get to go spend a night with the king. And if he gives the thumbs up, she gets to go over into this group where basically she just becomes one of the king's wives. She is taken care of, she gets as much food as she needs, she gets the clothes, they have a giant like Saks Fifth Avenue in the Sousa building, I mean they get to wear whatever they want. And they basically never go back and see the king unless he actually asks for them. So it's a little bit like a Miss Persia pageant meets an episode or a season of The Bachelor. Um, I mean, as I was reading it, I'm like, what would describe this? And I think that's the best thing to say. But you spend a night with the king, he gives the thumbs up, and you go over here. Or maybe he gives two thumbs up, and then something more happens. And for Esther, something more happens. In verse 16, it says that Esther was taken to King Xerxes at the royal palace in the winter of the seventh year of his reign. And the king loved Esther more than any of the other young women. He was so delighted with her that he set the royal crown on her head and declared her king or queen instead of Vashti, his first wife. To celebrate the occasion, he gave a great banquet in Esther's honor for all the nobles and officials, declaring a public holiday and giving generous gifts to everyone. So Esther is in this place. Remember, Esther's a homeless orphan girl. Her dreams of whatever she thought of being raised by her parents or having some man come to her parents and say, I'd like to have your daughter in marriage, all that's been shattered. It's gone. Her uncle or her cousin, who's like an uncle, is raising her. And all of a sudden, she's known for her beauty. And she's thinking, well okay, maybe this is my life. Maybe the shattered plan is now the, maybe this is the new plan. Maybe the plan is that I become part of this group and it seems to be working because the servant really likes me. Uh, 
this servant has given me these maids. I, I'm really being pretty fortunate here. Now I go spend a night with the king, and he's like, she's the one, she's the queen, and now I'm in this group, and I'm like the top girl in this. I've made it to the end of the season of The Bachelor, and I'm in this place, and everything is taken care of. Maybe this is the plan, even though, even though my, my real plan was shattered. Or maybe that's just the substitute plan. Maybe there's something more. She had to look in the mirror and she had to look at, she had to look past the shattered plans that she had of this homeless orphan girl. She had to look past the substitute plan. Am I just the orphan girl that became queen, that really becomes the most influential woman of the most powerful empire? Is that really the plan? Or is there something more? So it's really easy to just love the story for the sake of the story. I mean, people have, people have praised this book as this great story. But it's really easy to just hear the story and think, oh, nice story. Kind of like going to a movie and saying, oh, great movie. But let's put it into our own lives. What does that mean for our life? Like, when you look at the mirror of your life, do you see pieces that are just shattered like plans that you had that you thought life was going to be like, but then it's just not. For me, I, I truly thought I was going to double major in college and I was going to get to s compete all four years at the varsity level. And all of a sudden, halfway through my junior year, I tore my shoulder and I hated my major. It's not losing a spouse, but for me, that was a shattered plan. For some of you, I know like being a mom is like, you think that's your plan, and you can't have kids. And so that plan is being shattered in front of you. For others of you, you have this giant list of expectations that you either put on yourself or you think other people put on you. And you know you're going to never live up to them. So you just sit over and over and see the pieces crumble and see the pieces on the floor, and you just think, why? If, if that relates to any of you, I just encourage you to like write it down right now. Don't lose that idea of, of what is shattered in my life that I carry around with me that really is like carrying around a piece of sharp, shattered glass that cuts me every time I grab it, every time I think about it. It just hurts. Take a moment, write it down. Um, Or do you have, have you concocted some kind of a substitute plan? Really like Esther, she's, she's made it into this great plan. She's got all her cares taken care of. Maybe you've concocted your own plan where you've tried to cover up these, these broken pieces of your life. You've, you've put together this facade of everything's okay and now I've just, I've pasted the pieces back together and no one will know that it's broken. But there might be a third option. There might be a something more plan. I like to call it a, a such a time as this plan. And Pam's going to come up and share what, what her such a time as this plan has been. Like I said, these were hard times. We needed some help to survive. We went to counseling, both separately and together. And we eventually attended a weekend called Marriage Encounter. This was a very God-centered and extremely big turning point in our marriage. 
About the time when Steve and I were getting going through the bulk of our marriage troubles and shortly before we went to our marriage encounter, I received a letter from Rob explaining the name of this new church. It hit me at that very moment. God was calling me to be part of this new church venture as restoration was truly what I needed. And there was no question that this was the place that God had called me to be. We both jumped right in and we began serving God and helping with this new church family from the beginning. After our marriage encounter weekend, we were also asked to be leaders on a marriage encounter on several marriage encounter weekends. We were asked to write talks based on several aspects of our life and marriage. When we began writing these stories, my concern was that they seemed very heavy. And to be honest, many of the topics were depressing to me, and it was my life. But the fact is, it is my life, and through it, God has restored me and us for his good. It has been humbling to both Steve and I as we share our stories with as many as 30 couples on a marriage encounter weekend, all of them at many different places in their marriages, that God uses our stories and our lives to impact so many people. By no means does this mean that we have all the answers or that our marriage or life is perfect, but we see that God has been working in our lives and in our marriage and through our st struggles this whole time, even when he seemed hidden. This is God's plan, and we are being restored for good. Well, Esther was in this point in her life that kind of like Pam and Steve were wondering, is this really the place, is this really my, my comfort zone? And, and it started to come to a head in, in the story for Esther when, when this evil man came into power named Taman, and he rose to power and people would pay homage to him because he had risen to such a level and status that he was like second in command to the king. But this guy Mordecai, who had taken care of Esther, wouldn't give honor to this man, and so he started to despise him, and rather than just seek him out and destroy him, he decided to find out that Mordecai was a Jew, and that there were these Jews scattered all over the nation, and so quietly and not so quietly, Haman was just going to eradicate all of these people, all of God's people. Mordecai found out about it, and he fasted, he mourned, um, which is, you know, like biblical words to say he was really sad about the whole deal. As he's sitting there being sad and everyone watching him be sad about it, Esther sends a message to him to say, what is the matter? Like, put on some clothes, because he was wearing, like, morning clothes. Like, put on some clothes and, and cheer up. And he says, no, I can't. And he sends a message back basically explaining that Haman was trying to kill all of these people. So in Esther chapter 4, Mordecai sends this report back to Esther and says, look, like, Haman is going to kill everybody. And so Esther sends a message back to Mordecai. And he says, All the king's officials and even the people in the provinces know that anyone who appears before the king in his inner court without being invited is doomed to die unless the king extends his scepter, basically giving a pardon. And the king has not called me. Basically, Mordecai was mourning, and then when, when Esther came to find out why, he's like, you need to go to the king. You need to tell him what's going on here. And she's like, I can't go approach the king. I mean, I'm supposed to sit in this little group, and even though I'm the queen, like the head of this little group, if I come and see him before he asks, I could die. Unless he goes, okay, fine, you can enter. 
And so the rest of the story of Esther is really what she does in the midst of that. She's like, I have to put my life on the line. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to put my life on the line. And so then he says this, which is like, to me, it's the linchpin. It's Esther 4, chapter 4, verses 13 and 14. Mordecai sends this message back to Esther. Don't think for a moment that because you're in the palace, you're going to get to be spared when all the other Jews are killed. If you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief from the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your relatives will die. So we don't put Pam and Steve up here to say like, oh, they're so great because they serve. Because you know what? If they wouldn't have stepped up and helped with marriage encounter, or if they wouldn't have stepped up and helped with some of the things that we're doing at Restoration, someone else would have. God doesn't just say, oh, you're so special that I need you. God invites us to be part of his plans. He invites us to be part of his projects. And so he invited them, and they said yes. Mordecai saying the same thing. Esther, you don't do this, guess what? You, you're going to die, your family's going to die, but God will figure this out. God's got a bigger plan than all of it. But then he says, but who knows if perhaps you were made queen for such a time as this. What Mordecai, I think, is saying is, don't think the substitute plan is enough here, Esther. You know, this idea that you've concocted, that you have this comfortable life now, that you're not known as, as the homeless orphan girl, that you're now the queen of the most powerful nation, don't think that's going to be enough. It's not. But maybe you were put in this place, maybe you were restored for good to save other people. Maybe you were put in this place to help someone else out. Maybe you were put in this place to see the entire nation be spared. Now, when I think about my life, I don't, I don't think I've been put in this place to have an entire nation be spared. That sounds far too grandiose. But when I think about what my life was going to be in, again, I'm not knocking engineers. That was just my story. I was going to be an engineer, and I was going to put roads together. And people need good roads, and people could die without good roads and good sewers. That's true. But for me, God had another plan. And so in the midst of my plan being shattered and on the floor and sitting around my junior year of college going, what in the world am I going to do? God put other plans together. I thought the plan was teaching. That was a substitute plan, and he brings me into ministry, and he puts me on this road to becoming a pastor. And I'm not saying that if you say yes to God's restored for good, such a time as this plan, that he's going to put you as a pastor, but he's going to involve you in ministry. It might be ministry on our help wanted board because you're here and you're saying, yeah, restoration's all right, I want to do this. But it might be like, Pam and Steve found out something, something else, something that's impacting people outside of this place, like this marriage encounter thing where people are coming, and she, they told me a story about the couples that came on one of these weekends. It was just mess. It was like wreckage and carnage. These people, half of them, I think, were going to get divorced, and, and one of them ended up leaving in the middle of it. And God put them in that place for such a time as this to tell them their story. And you know what? A lot of those people listen. I think that what this story of Esther is about, this, this such a time as this. I mean, we just sang a song that said, I called and you answered, God. I want to be where you are. If you want to be where God is, then you jump into his such a time as this plan. 
But that means you've got to get rid of the substitute plan and you've got to get rid of the shattered dreams. And the only place you can do that, friends, is at the cross. So if you wrote something down and you want to put it in the basket or you want to put it up on the, on the mirror, um, give it to God. He takes those shattered things, he takes those substitute things, and he makes it beautiful. So when we look into that cross and we see ourselves, we don't see the broken pieces, but instead we see what God has restored for his good. And then we start to dream about what that would mean in our lives and what that would mean for the rest of the world. Because God has great things planned for you and I, not because we're special, but because he invites us into seeing his creation be redeemed, and he wants to use us to do that. So what does that mean? Do the help wanted board? Does that mean go on the women's getaway and, and really be in a place where you can share about your brokenness and find restoration? Or does that mean that God has something else planned that he hasn't yet revealed, but sometimes someone will say, hey, maybe you're in this place for such a time as this. Like Steve and Pam have figured out that maybe this marriage encounter idea is really for such a time as this. I don't know what it is for you, but my guess is that God's going to tell you. So if you need to bring it up to the cross as a symbol of, of giving that to Jesus and laying the broken things, do it. No one's going to come and read your paper. Um, but you can just give it away and you can leave it there because that's what Jesus does. There were so many people in the Gospels that came to Christ and asked for healing, and they were healed, and they wanted to follow Jesus. And you know what he said? He said, go back to your village and tell the story so that other people can know what Christ has done. Oh, yeah, but they know my past, too. And he's like, no, that's exactly why I want you to go back. Because when they know your past and they see how you've been restored for good, they can say, I don't, he, he couldn't do that. She couldn't do that. No, but God can. That's the invitation, friends. So let's pray and ask God what those pieces are in our life. God, I love um, how you've, you've worked in Pam and Steve's lives. Um, thank you, God, for, for them, not because they're special. God, we think they're special, but we think you're ultimate uh, and you're creator, and you've made them, and you've taken their brokenness, and you've restored them for good, and it's so fun to serve with them in this community and see how they have figured that out and are still figuring that out. God, you don't promise us perfection, you don't promise us smooth sailing, but you do promise that you'll redeem us. When we come to you and we confess to you what we've done and our brokenness, you heal it, you change it, you make it better, you make it new, you restore us for good. I pray that we would take our stuff either literally to the cross, God, or in our prayers, in our seat, that we would take that to you. We would give you those broken things. We would give you those substitute things. And we would ask for this such a time as this plan. Wherever that is, vocationally, relationally, or spiritually, God, we're here to seek you. We're here to say thank you to you if we've um, been restored. And we're here to remind ourselves that, that you don't need us, but you choose to use us. So we're grateful, Lord. And we say in your name, God, for your glory, amen.